Wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Welcome to Bleeding Daylight. You'll find links to our Facebook, Instagram and Twitter pages at bleedingdaylight.net. That's also where you'll find many other Bleeding Daylight episodes. Please share this and other episodes so that others can hear about the light breaking through the darkness. Today's guest found himself facing a situation he didn't know how to handle. He shares about the wake-up call that made all the difference for him and for those around him. You'll hear the words for better or for worse at most wedding ceremonies. But to be honest, in those early days, most of us imagine a lifetime of better. So what happens when we encounter the worse? Several years into their marriage, Maurice and Ruth Griffin had their wedding vows seriously tested. Those difficult times resulted in the book When Love is Angry, a memoir from the other side of mental illness. Maurice is my guest on Bleeding Daylight today, and we're going to explore the pain, frustration and misunderstandings that turned his life upside down. But we'll also hear about the triumph and restoration that followed. Maurice, thank you so much for your time today. Glad to be on. Glad to be on. Thank you for having me. Before we jump in, let's get to know you a little better. If we found ourselves sitting next to each other on a plane, how would you introduce yourself to me? That's a good question. I probably would just find something to engage you, something of main interest. But basically, as a person, I am kind of an easygoing, laid back, keep to myself type person. My passions or hobbies are I like I spend a lot of time in the kitchen cooking. I like to work out. It's kind of like my my stress reliever. So I exercise a lot. Those are, are really the two things. And I, I'm, a, I'm currently an empty nester now. So Ruth and I are definitely enjoying life being an adult, adult teenager, so to speak. <laughs> so <laughs> so those, those two things are kind of really, really describe me in, in a nutshell, you know, like to travel a little bit, go and see, see different places. Who knows, might be in your neck of the woods before this is over with. So we we may quite literally end up on a plane next to each other. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned in the introduction that there was a time in your marriage where things started to look a, a little bit shaky. And maybe you can take us on that journey. Exactly what happened at that time? When we got married, there were already children involved. There was one child or actually two. I had another one from a previous relationship and then there was one on the way. So we kind of did it different, backwards, however you want to call it. We walked into it, not even really trying to do, didn't have a chance to do the honeymoon stage. So we had responsibilities. We got married, started doing our responsibilities and then kind of focusing on, you know, the children and they were all young at the time and focusing on them and really not focusing on one another and getting to learn one another. So I really didn't think anything of it. We were having, you know, when you bring two people together, no matter how much they love each other, there's always differences that people see things differently. So there was differences of opinions and certain different things. The best thing that we had had in going into it was we had had uh, a godly counseling. For lack of a better term, we had 
different tips and tricks to kind of uh, help us navigate through those small times. But the real like, hey, something's really wrong with this. And there's a there there is something bigger than just, you know, two people disagreeing about what to have for dinner was one day about two and a half, three years into the marriage. Ruth sat me down one day. She basically said, I feel like I'm losing control. And today I lost control with our oldest son because, you know, kids are kids. And he was maybe five or six. And kids just do things sometimes. And you have to correct them and you have to discipline them. And sometimes they just, they, you know, they pick the perfect time to catch you off guard. (laughs) Anybody, that's just the dynamics of a family. And she felt as though she was like, today I, when that time happened, I really lost control and I felt like I lost control to the point so that when she she said I reacted out of anger and so much so that A, it scared her and B, she said I had to go back to my young son and apologize. So I was like, oh, for us where it was like, okay, this is something bigger than I don't like mustard on my hamburgers type scenario. So that's where the first kind of this is something bigger going on was uh, I really announced itself. As you mentioned, as you enter into marriage, there's already kids involved. And we know that when there are kids around, as you say, it takes our, our mind off concentrating on each other because there's so much to do. And so there's the relationship that can suffer because we're concentrating on the kids. But also there are things going on for us personally that can be overlooked because, again, there's the busyness of of life. So this first warning sign that, that Ruth spoke to you about, it wasn't just a sense of someone who was losing their temper, was it? What did it turn out to be? It really turned out to be her being eventually diagnosed with uh, depression and even bipolar. It happened down the road, but that's really kind of the first time. And if I remember correctly, she said she had had these moments before. But I think this was such a, a announcing moment that it couldn't be swept under the rug or just pushed off or played off anymore. It was more like, uh-uh, this is this is bigger than this. This is this is something I I, I need to address and and we need to handle it. And I need to let everybody, you know, and, and for me, I need to let my husband know because this is serious. So on one hand, it's a wonderful situation that she feels secure enough in the relationship that she says, I need to tell my husband. She's not trying to hide this from you. But at the same time, it must be frightening for you because you're not quite sure what to do at this stage either, are you? No, and I don't even know if she felt secure enough. I think she was at the point at that time of hopelessness and despair that she was just like, I don't know what to do. I can't do this anymore. That was the first part. And for me, this is where looking back on it, I didn't know what to do and I handled it wrong. I mean, just just handle it wrong because we are Christians. We confess Christ and that's who we believe. And my thought was, we'll just trust God. We'll pray and He'll help us through this. I didn't put any time limit on it. I was like, God, this is something that we have to do. So I don't know how long it's going to take, but I trust that you will fix it. As a Christian, that's the overall goal. But the the real crux of that, and this is this is where I say I make a mistake, was I didn't engage and say, 
okay, what do I need to do? And just being honest with you, right? I should have went to God and say, okay, God, I don't know. what, And I didn't. I'm just like, I don't know what to do with this. And saying, I don't know what to do with this guy. What do I do to help Ruth? So you're going through this situation and and maybe we can just go off on a quick tangent and Mm -hmm. help us understand exactly what bipolar is because you say that there was this diagnosis of, of bipolar for those who maybe have heard the term but aren't familiar with what it means. Can you just describe how that expresses itself? It's a, a person who is led by their emotions constantly and they really don't have control of it. One minute they're fine. The next, the smallest thing can set them off if the garbage is misplaced or, or something at that time, we had young kids. So sometimes, you know, with young kids, you kind of have to train them and teach them. So sometimes you're like, hey, is this done? Or we, we you know, as you get older, you give them chores and things like that. And that's not, that's how we raised our kids. It's like, hey, is this done? Hey, go brush your teeth. It's, it's bedtime. And, you know, they get sidetracked and little things like that. I just noticed that a lot of times my wife was just literally screaming or fussing. I'm just like, and, you know, it was just like, no, just go tell him to go do it. And I caught myself a lot of times like, why is she screaming? Why is she fussing? This, it doesn't take all that. And I was thinking that was internally instead of realizing like, hey, this is this is a, a trigger that's setting it off. The kids, too, we were living with a person who didn't have control and we weren't we just didn't know what to do. And, and as the husband, I was handling it wrong because I was sometimes I would find myself going hey, you you need to bring it back a little bit instead of just maybe interceding in that situation and just saying, you know what? I got this. Go go sit down. I got this. Or take a minute. I got this. But instead, I was more like calm down or whatever. And the reality was that person wasn't calming down because they did not have control. And that's that's bipolar. It manifests itself with my wife, but it manifests itself in Uh, different ways with different people, but it it usually is something extreme and it usually happens like that. It's just like a a switch. It flips. You just don't know what it may, what may trigger it. But when it's triggered, you're like, okay. So where was the point that you realized, oh, I've been trying to do this all wrong. I've been going about it the wrong way. I haven't been the husband that I should have been for Ruth. When did it start to turn for you that you were able to start walking alongside her in this difficult time? I'm not a confrontational person. If a person is confrontational and I can escape or just not avoid or just not engage them, I won't. I just I just won't. It's just like, you know, I'll flee before I have before I fight, so to speak. So what was happening is. I was fleeing and I kept fleeing. And as she would have these moments, I would flee. And certain parts of each month, these moments would flare up and I would just learn to, to flee or just shut down. And what was happening was that it was creating a separation or or dividing our marriage. So during the course of the five years, I just stopped talking. So there would be times that I would just come home and just be like, I would answer questions, but I would be like, how was your day? It was fine. What'd you do today? Well, I did this. I did that. And I would answer questions. Sometimes we'd be in the car and I'd be driving and she'd be like, what are you thinking about? Nothing. And I would be like, in my thought process, was like, I'm not engaging you. There is no way. We are not going down this road. And that was the moment. And 
what happened from that was we all, what I discovered is each human being, and I know they say, I've heard they say women have more words than men, but I had words and I couldn't get them out. So in my job, I spent a lot of time in a car and I live in a kind of a, a metropolitan area and it's kind of spread out. So sometimes I'll be in the car for 50 minutes or maybe even longer. And I remember spending those times in the car, just having conversations like this with God. And thank God for the Bluetooth, because it, if it had been like 10 years ago, people would have thought I was crazy because I would literally be driving down the car, uh, in the car by myself, just having open conversations with God. And it was really just a gripe session. It's like, my wife can't do it. Ruth doesn't do this. She doesn't do that. She's always doing this. And I can't talk to her and blah, 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 blah. And God was kind of just listening to me. Whenever I would get quiet enough, he would give me certain things. And the first the first thing he kind of told me when I got quiet a little bit was she's angry. And I'm like, well, why is she so angry? And then I would I would keep kind of talking. And then he kind of sh- showed me, you don't like talking to your wife. Here's the thing. Ruth and I both came from uh, divorced homes and we know the pain or the long-term suffering that can have on a family, not just the husband and wife, but people outside, you know, the children and everything. So when we got married, that was the one thing. We was like, divorce is not an option. It is not on the table. It will not be mentioned. It wasn't an option. So for, for me, I was like, that ain't an option. So I don't know what to do. And so that's why I was having these conversations. I thought I was having conversations with God to help me, but really it was just gripe sessions. I just came to the realization. I was like, I don't like talking to my wife. And I knew I had to tell her that, but I was, I really felt helpless because I was like, if I tell her that, then she's going, I'm just going to get up in a, in a, in an argument. And I just don't want to do that. The turning point for me was I had a divine sovereign visit from God. And if you ever had these, you know, I'm talking about. And I remember one day I was going into my gripe session and God just simply said to me plainly, he said, you know, your wife's a good woman, right? And that's all he said. But if you know and if you spent time with God, when he says stuff like that, he might say a sentence, but there's so much more to it. What he was showing me was basically that what you're fussing and complaining about, another man would love to the end of the earth. He would love this woman because even though Ruth had an issue of bipolar and stuff, she was loving dedicated, loyal. It was a lot of good qualities that I was not focusing on. And I'm like, I got, this is a gift from God and this is how I'm treating my gift. And honestly, I was hard headed because I was kind of was in my feelings. I was sulky. Whenever you have a word like that from God, it cut me to the core. It's a cut that just gnaws. And I think in some ways, I know it sounds really, really crazy, but God was kind of showing me what depression is like. And that was sometimes the pain was there and it was prevalent. It was in my face. Sometimes it would get kind of, dare I say, medium. And sometimes it would get low, but it was always there. I knew it was always there. And it was just like what he said was always there. And finally, I just kind of said, I can't do this anymore. I can't live like this. The turning point was first things first. I got to tell her. I got to share with her how I feel. The second one was I started looking back and I realized that God was telling me to do stuff all along. And it wasn't the like big stuff. It was just a lot of times changes start with small adjustments and tweaks. 
I'm an avid exerciser, so I pretty get, pretty up, get up pretty early. I get up sometimes 4 a.m. because I have to be at work about 9, regular work day. So I try to get up early and get my exercise out of the way. And she's, you know, so I'm getting up in the morning. Everybody's, you know, it's pretty early. So everybody's sleeping quiet. So I'm like tiptoeing around the house and doing certain things. And right when I get ready to leave, I would hear God say, just give her a kiss goodbye. I was, and I would be arguing. I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to wake her. She had a tough day and I'm looking at her. She sees she's sleeping and she's tired. And just something as simple as grab her hand, you know, when she's around, give her a kiss on the cheek. Tell her that you love her. Just little stuff like that. And I was like, eh. And so finally I had to just kind of relent and just say, okay, I got to do the small stuff to affirm her. Here was the thing with me personally. I I came from a family and from a, a background. I grew up in an era where the man, he provided for the family. And that's how he showed his love. You know, I come home every night. I cook. I clean. So I grew up with my parents like that. And my parents didn't get divorced. I was like, you know, almost out of high school. But in that formative years, that's what I saw. I think I heard my dad tell mom that he loved her maybe once or twice. And I think I seen him actually kiss his husband and wife once. And that's probably it. And I'm not blaming them. But it was just like for me to say those simple things. I struggled with it. And I was like, God, why am I struggling with this? I, I gave my life to this woman. I told I stood before you and family and, and, and everybody and said, I love her. And I will spend the rest of my life with her. Divorce is not an option. And I can't show this. So I really personally struggled with that. But I just finally I made up my mind. It's like, I'm just going to do it. Uh, it's uncomfortable. I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to stop. That was kind of the turning point for me where I just had to do the little things. I had to tell her first. And I had to do the little things to just, you know, affirm her. And it didn't happen overnight, but slowly and surely it just started turning around because it it took us a while to get in that position. And I knew it was going to take a while to get out of it. It's interesting there. We're talking about a major issue such as bipolar. And it seems that this is your experience, but I imagine it's the experience of many people that when we are confronted with a great big issue, we just feel that is too big to deal with. And yet God whispers, just do the little things. It, it's the little things that are going to start and they won't be the, the cure. They won't be the, the whole solution. But when we start with the little things, I, I guess it opens up the way for the, the real business to begin. Was that the situation for you that when those little things started, that there was a much better road towards healing? It was. When I made the commitment and started doing it, it was like the gates opened. I started seeing more. God was revealing to me what Ruth was going through. And I said earlier, he was showing me that depression when I was disobedient to what he said. And the reason I say that is because I remember distinctly as I started doing that, I was actually out of, of town on a, on a road, a work trip. I was traveling by myself and I had to leave like real early in the morning. Like I think I had to be on the road at like two or three a.m. And so it was it was dark and I was driving down this highway. It's in a it's in a rural area, so it's just dark and it's kind of peaceful and stuff. And I heard God distinctly say, This is what depression is like. This is what people live with every day, every single day that that have depression. He said, They look fine on the outside, 
They function. They seem to be functioning fine, he said, but this is what they're experiencing on the inside. They're basically sitting in an area of darkness. It was it was so dark out there that if I had turned off like my car lights and stuff and just stopped for a minute, I wouldn't be able to see my hands in front of my face. And I'm like, wow. He said, yeah. And he, he just broke it down to me. He said, your wife has been functioning like this. Uh, she's been doing everything she's been doing and living in this realm for the last few years. It broke me down. I was like, what? At that point, I said, if there's any rebellion in me, I quit. I give up. I'm done. Whatever you want me to do, however you want me to, to help, I'm in. I'm totally in. He began to just basically walk me through her. And he's like, this wasn't done for no reason. There's a reason why this happened. And this is what I, I'm kind of doing. He didn't reveal everything to me, but he was like, this is what I'm kind of doing with your wife. And I was like, I'm in. I'm going to support it all the way, 100. I, I don't care what it costs me. That was kind of the point where I was just like, okay, I, I begin to understand a little bit. And it was interesting because he just began to talk for just as I began to listen, he talked for literally a couple hours. And by the time he got done talking, I was at my <laughs> I was at my destination. So I just remember coming home and just sharing what was what he had revealed to me and just looking at my wife. She was she was she was completely blown away. And, and I said, correct me if I'm wrong. And she never did. She just she just sat there with her with literally her mouth half open, just shocked that I knew this. And so I was like, this must be accurate because you never did correct me once. As I began to do the little things, it just started opening up the communication and the support. And I think Ruth started feeling that, OK, he's understanding, he's trying, he's supporting. It began to build back the marriage and build it in a way that a marriage was meant to be, according to the Bible. And I imagine as you're starting to do these sorts of things, as you're starting to to show those little signs of affection, you're starting to to treat her as she deserves to be treated, there's still the kids involved. They're still there. And I imagine you're starting to model to them what you wished your parents had modeled to you. I think they're starting to see now because they're like adults, so they're starting to see it. But I know they they experienced all of it. And so this is actually how this is really where the book was birthed, because I, I tell people all the time, like my wife is the artist of the family. She's like she can draw. She can do all stuff. She has her own publishing company. So words are her thing. I'm not. I, I'm the I'm the cook. I'm the other person. I was like I was a, a English BC student. I did enough to get by and kind of like okay, I can function and if need be, if I sit down and concentrate, I can you know have a conversation with people. And if I need to write something, I can write it. But I have to work at it. I was like writing's your thing. That's not really my thing because I'm I'm more of a conversational person. I write like I talk. So if I was to like if I was writing you a letter, I knew it would sound more like me. You would read me like, oh yeah, that is Maurice, <laughs> you know, so to speak. The book started out as, as I started looking at myself. I was like, there are just mistakes that I made in marriage. There are just things that I went through, and had I listened, I wonder how much of this would I have went through, and how much pain and stuff I would have went through that. I shouldn't have went through or maybe I, I could have avoided. Maybe I should write this down to give to my children as gifts for them when they decide to get married and, and be in relationships. So they'll have a blueprint because 
marriage is not we talk more about the benefits than the actual the core what marriage is and a lot of times we don't talk about the work that comes involved with marriage and a lot of times people think it's it's somebody to help you somebody that you know it's an extra income that you have into your house if you have two working spouses it's physical intimacy and satisfaction and i was like those are the benefits the reality of a marriage is especially from a biblical standpoint is like you come into a marriage to produce and glorify god and to produce and glorify god is simply this sacrifice and love that is the main two things if you love someone you're going to sacrifice for them and that means that you have to sometimes serve, you know, sometimes, you know, I heard people say, and this is one of the things I learned in, in counseling, they say marriage is 50-50. No, on a good day, it's 50-50. But sometimes marriage is 30-70, sometimes marriage is 80-20, sometimes marriage is 93-7. It just depends on the person's needs, whatever spouse needs, and whatever it is. It's just you're in it together, and sometimes you have to carry the marriage. And, and a lot of times people don't understand that. That's where the the rubber meets the road. And I wanted to leave my children a blueprint to say, you know, when you have those challenging times, read this memoir of what your parents went through and you were you were growing up in it. Sometimes you didn't understand it, but this is what we were going through. And look at the mistakes your dad made and don't repeat them. That was the whole whole crux of me. me. I was like, do not repeat this because this will this will take you down roads that you don't want to go down and either take you into places that God you really don't want to be with. So that's how the book started. So I was I started writing it kind of as a gift to them. And then as I wrote it, it was kind of like, well, I began to write my part. And I was like, I think Ruth is supposed to write this, too, because she because I was like, you're getting one part of it. But she really needs to tell her part so you can get the whole story. So as I got towards the end, uh, one day we were sitting down in our living room and I asked Ruth, I said, what if I what if I told you I think we're supposed to write a book together? And she was like, OK, about what? I said about us, about our marriage and stuff. She's like, OK, I finished my part and I kind of sent it to her. I just remember I was honestly a little bit scared because it went down the the painful places that we were working ourselves out of. A part of me was like, if she may come to me and say, we're over that. Don't ever say it again. We're done. Don't go back. Leave it alone. I was like, well, if she does, then I'm okay with that. But it was the complete opposite because she was able to really tap into my heart and, and my thinking and my mind and see what I was going through. She sat down and read it in one setting. I remember when it got quiet, I was like, oh, Oh, you know, you know how sometimes you hear quiet, it gets, you get a little nervous. So I was a little nervous. And I, <laughs> I was like, is this my last day on earth? Am I going, God, am I coming to see you now? <laughs> you know, but I just remember her coming back into the uh, living room and she had tears in her eyes and she just made me promise. She was like, I need to know how you feel. I don't care basically how it makes, if it hurts me or not, I just need to know. And I was like, OK, from the time I gave her my part to the time that the book was actually completed and done, I think it was probably I want to say a little over a year, maybe 14 months. But I, when I gave it to her, I was just like, God, I did my part. So I'm not even when it gets done, it gets done. I ain't put no time limit on it. I just kind of backed away and left alone. God, I did what you told me to do. The book came from the idea of I want to leave something for my kids to, OK, 
we probably really need to share. It's, it's, it's a bigger platform that we want to share just to really help people. And I think what you've described there really is the beauty of the book, because there are sometimes books that describe someone's journey through a mental health issue, such as bipolar, and we can learn from that. Then there are others who might tell the other side of the story like you do, but this is actually the coming together of both sides so that we're hearing from both of you. And I I think what I really love is the fact that you're not saying, here I was, the perfect husband, I helped and we got through this together, but you're saying, you know what, I fell down on this sometimes and here are the things that I wouldn't want to repeat. As the book has got out and about, as people have started to read it, what has been the response from those people that have read it and given you a review or or let you know how it's affected them? Basically, what you said is kind of like people love the totality of the book, be able to hear my side and then being able to hear Ruth's side and kind of putting it together and seeing and seeing the journey that we walk together. Really, some of it, when we first came out, it, it shocked me because elders in our church read the book and a few of them came to me and said, yeah, reading your book made me stop and kind of reevaluate my life to make sure. I had an uncle say, you know what? I read the book and I sat down with my girlfriend and we had a, a, a conversation and, I, and, and it made us have some, some, some talks. And I'm like, wow, OK, that was the goal. You know, sometimes when you write stuff and it was the first one and I was kind of excited a little bit and nervous at the same time. And I was just, you know, I've heard stories of other people writing books and they say, well, I just want to sell maybe a couple thousand to recoup the cost. And it became a bestseller or something like that. And, you know, sometimes in the back of your mind, you're thinking, yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be so awesome and stuff like that. And I just, I just, when I first, when I, as I, as I wrote the book, I realized it was a book. I just kind of made a pact with God, so to speak. I was like, God, if I write this book and it helps one person, it is worth it. If it sell, it don't sell any copies. If we get thousands of copies and we have thousands of copies sitting in our house and we sell and we sell one and it helps one person. I am okay with that. That was the goal. And I know a few, few people have said, yeah, you, you you probably sell a little more. And I was like, that's fine. But I just, the, the real hope, the, the, from my point of view, there's, there's two things. I want people to realize marriage is work. And the second one is in the marriage part. I guess it's three. Marriage is work. Don't make the mistakes that I made. And the last part that I want, want to, to uh, kind of address, because I kind of seen it too, is like, a lot of times when a person is going through an illness, whether it's physical or mental, bipolar, cancer or whatever, whenever it's, it's an extreme, people focus on the person dealing with the issue. And you should. But a lot of times what I've seen is that if that person is married or they're a part of a family, it just doesn't affect them. It affects those around them. And sometimes the people who it hurts or affects just as much and maybe even more is the person's people around them. So whenever you come into a situation like that, like there was a couple people in our church who have had cancer and a couple of them succumbed to it. Hey, that whole family needs support because a, a, a key piece of them is now not on this earth. 
And you got to understand what they're going through. And you can't be like, well, that person passed and we, we loved them. It's like, no, no, no. They left children and a spouse behind. They still need the support. And hopefully that was other parts that I could bring attention to get people to stop and think. It's like, well, when you do stuff like this and hopefully you see my story, that it just doesn't affect that person going through. It affects everything around them. I'm sure that there's going to be many more people that are going to be affected by this book, that are going to enjoy reading it through. And whether they're dealing with an illness or not, there's tips in there that are going to help people to start doing the little things, as you say, to start working on their marriage. If people are listening at the moment and they want to get hold of a copy, where do they go? You can get a copy on any major bookseller, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, uh, anywhere you order your books, you can you can definitely get it. It's called When Love is Angry, a memoir for the other side of depression. It's by Maurice and Ruth Griffin. We'll put the links to get the book in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net as well. So you can head there and you can find the link, grab the book. Uh, but Maurice, it has been wonderful to talk to you, to hear your honesty, to hear the story of of what you've been through together. And I guess we go back to the start of our conversation, which tells us that these days you and Ruth are together, you're traveling together, you're spending time with each other, and you're journeying together through what life has for you. So I want to say thank you for your story and thank you for your time on Bleeding Daylight. Thank you, Ryan. It was a pleasure. I am humbled and honored to have the chance to just share. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.